This morning's scripture reading is from Hebrews 1, verse 13 through 2, 4. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is God's word. Let us pray. Help us, Lord, to pay attention to the message we hear today. And fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might be a blessing to our friends here at church and at home and at our workplace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How many guys remember the story of Noah? You guys remember the story? bunch of you guys were in Sunday school class, apparently, right? The, the basics of that story are that uh, Noah received a message from the Lord that destruction was coming, and so he went and he began to share it with his um, neighbors and those that he knew, and they kind of mocked him, and Jesus and God had spoken to him and said, I want you to build an ark, and so he built the ark, and they kind of mocked him over that, and after a while, it began to rain, and those who didn't listen to, those who disregarded, those who disobeyed the word of the Lord, were punished. How many of you guys remember the story of Moses and Pharaoh? Moses goes to Pharaoh as a messenger of God, sent by God to bring a message to Pharaoh, and he said, you need to let my people go. And Pharaoh disregarded, and Pharaoh disobeyed the instruction of the Lord through the messenger of God. And 10 different times he did that, and 10 different times there was punishment that came in the plagues. There was the, there was the flies, there was the frogs, there was the bloody water, there was the dying, the dying cattle, and ultimately the death of the firstborn. How many of you guys remember the story of Achan in the battle of Ai? Word of the Lord came to Joshua that he shared with the people and said, we're going to go and take Canaan and there's going to be a battle that we're going to have at Ai, but I don't want you to take anything for yourself. I don't want you to take anything of any value. I don't want you to take any loot from the, from the battle. And Achan chose not to listen to the words of the Lord, not to listen and obey. And so he took a silver cup and he buried that silver cup. And when it came to be found out, God punished him and his entire family for disobeying the word of the Lord. 
Or maybe you remember the story of a series of kings of Israel. There was Judah and Uzziah and Sennacherib and Josiah. These three were kings of Israel in Judah, and all of which were given instruction by angels, all of which disobeyed, and they were struck with leprosy, they were killed, they lost their kingdom. Or how about the story of the kings of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, who ignored the message of God's prophets and were punished for their arrogance? One was made to be a beast in the field, and the other lost his kingdom completely. All of these stories, and many more, whether it's Lot's son-in-law, or Samson, or Ahab and Jezebel, the sons of Eli, the sons of Samuel, the prophet Balaam, story after story representing the equation of this, disobey the message of God. Disregard the messengers of God, whether angels or prophets. And there is a price to be paid. Throughout the Old Testament, as God interacted with people, the expectation is when I send a message through my messenger, obey or bear the consequences. This is undeniable. It's what we see over and over again. And the question I have for you today is this. How different is that equation in the era of the new covenant brought by Christ? We are continuing our series entitled Draw Near. And as we look at the book of Hebrews, we discover that that very phrase, draw near, over and over and over again. Six different times it says, draw near. Hebrews 4 says, draw near to the throne of grace. Hebrews 7 says, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And as we do, he he is able to save us to the uttermost, those who draw near to God. Hebrews says six different times, we are encouraged in the book to draw near And the reason for that is because the plan of God throughout time was to create a relationship of intimacy and accessibility between our Heavenly Father and us, His creation. That's everything we see in the Old Testament. That's everything we see in the New Testament. The entire plan of God was, I want to provide a way in which you get to know me, in which you can come to me and have relationship with me. The Old Testament we discover in the book of Hebrews, stands as a foreshadowing of the complete plan, the perfect plan of God that is ultimately fulfilled in the new covenant that is secured by Jesus Christ. That the access secured by the temples of old, the the sacrifices of old, the prophets of old, even the priests of old, never completed, never provided, the intimacy that God always intended for us to have. We're not complete. We're not complete the intimacy that he has for us, that he provides for us through Jesus Christ. So the instruction today is draw near. What we discovered last week is Jesus would become both the messenger and the message that provides the accessibility that allows us to draw near. That Jesus declares 
not just in his word, not just in the things he said, not just in the things he taught, like many of the messengers of old, but in his life, the message of God, his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, the pathway to redemption and relationship to which all of the Old Testament was pointing is found in Jesus, in who Jesus Christ is, all that he is. Access to the Father comes through Christ the messenger and Christ the message. So, if that is the case, that Jesus Christ is sent as the messenger embodying the message, how different is the equation we expressed that we found over and over again in the Old Covenant? Disobey the message of God, disregard the messenger of God, and there is a consequence. You will pay a price. If, as we've already noted, as God interacted with people, the expectation is when I send a message through my messenger, obey or bear the consequences. How different is that today in our relationship with God because of the work of Jesus Christ? I believe this morning's text gives us some clear insight into the answer to that question that I think is very worthy of us contemplating as we seek to follow after Jesus. This morning's text, I believe, has two primary instructions that are extremely important for those who seek to follow the message embodied in Christ. He is that great messenger. And as we read this, there are two admonitions that the church needs to be aware of and we need to embrace if we seek to follow him. They're found in verses uh, chapter 1, verse 14, through chapter 2, uh, verse 3. And they apply directly to the question that I've posed to you guys at this point. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Now, I want us to stop there. Remember to this point, all throughout the entire first chapter, the author of Hebrews is declaring Jesus is greater than the angels. The point of the entire first chapter was to introduce to us the idea that Jesus Christ is greater than the angels. Remember remember what we read and, and, and what he wrote? The Son, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. The entire point of chapter 1 as we get into chapter 2 is Jesus Christ is superior to the angels we've seen to this point. So Jesus, in a a very literal sense, is the greatest ministering angel. What you got to do is you got to remember that the Greek word that's translated here as angel literally means messenger who is sent by God. So the author is saying Jesus is 
the greatest messenger sent by God. You guys with me so far? So he's going through and he's saying there's all these messengers of God, all these angels sent by God that spoke about the plan of God throughout the ages. But now he sends us Jesus who is higher than all these messengers, who is greater than all these messengers. And aren't the author saying all messengers sent by God, ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So he's saying Jesus, who is one of these ministering angels, not just one of them, but the greatest one of them, we must, he says, pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so we do not drift away. He's saying here, pay the most careful attention because it's necessary In fact, he's proposing you have to pay the most careful attention to the message of Jesus Christ because if you don't, you will drift away. And that in itself is an interesting phrase because it expresses the idea of fading away, that that over time, the message of Jesus Christ can be lost, that we can fade from the truth presented by the messenger sent by God who is Jesus Christ. If we don't pay careful attention, we will fade. The church will fade from the message embodied in Christ. And then he reveals the true, two truths that will help, us, help prevent us from fading away. So to this point, we understand is Jesus is the greater messenger Jesus is bringing a message that is meant to be an encouragement, that is meant to be a help to those of us he's called to salvation. And that if we don't pay the most careful attention to this message, we are in danger of fading away. And now he tells us what he wants us to pay attention to that prevents us from losing the message of Christ. First he says, for since the message spoken through angels was binding. Now on the surface, that, that, that might be hard to really understand how that helps us in keeping us from fading away. But I want you to understand the framework for everything the author is saying here is he has established the messengers of the old are inferior to the messenger of Christ. He has said who they are and the message they bring are not as profound as who Christ is and the message he brings. And he's saying, since the message spoken through those angels was binding, how much more is the message of Christ binding? Now, to really understand this, um, I, I think it's better read from the, from the NASB translation. It's right, and it says, For if the world spoken through angels proved unalterable, What he's saying is the message is unchangeable. The very first thing that he's saying to us if we want to avoid fading away is we need to give very special attention to the fact that the message that Jesus Christ brings is unalterable. It is unchanging. The the, the, The message of the ministering angels to those who would receive salvation is unalterable unchanging, binding. 
And so therefore, if their message should not be changed, altered, untethered, how much more must we pay attention to the message of God and not change it, not alter it? Spurgeon said it this way. The message in Hebrews is this. They could not trifle with the angel's message without receiving just punishment from God. Much less than can we trifle with Christ's gospel. We have not an angelic savior, but God himself in the person of his son has designed to be the mediator of the new covenant. One of the ways in which we know that God's interaction with us when Christ is the messenger versus God's interaction with the Old Testament is we need to make, pay special attention that we do not alter the message. We do not alter the gospel of Jesus Christ because otherwise there's a price to be paid. We will fade away, he says. The author, he was saying, we will fade away if we treat casually the message of Christ, if we tailor the message to fit our wants, to fit our norms, to fit our culture. You cannot expect the church to stay on the path of salvation laid out by Christ, the greatest ministering angel, if we do not embrace the truth that his message is unalterable. It is enduring. We cannot expect, whether as individuals or as the church, to stay on the path of Christ and not fade from it if we do not maintain the unaltered message of Jesus Christ. Whether it is a church that manipulates the message of Christ to one of legalism and condemnation, or a church that manipulates the message of Christ as one of simply love and unbridled acceptance, or a church that manipulates the message of Christ to be one of ease and prosperity and wealth, or a church that manipulates the message of Christ to be one that tolerates sin, whether that sin is sexual or violent or greedy. There is no way for the church or for believers to not fade away from the message of Jesus Christ if we begin to alter what Jesus Christ said and what he meant. The message of Christ that calls sinners to repentance. The message of Christ that, that teaches us that that repentance is met with abundant grace. A grace that was paid for with the great sacrifice of Christ. The message of Christ that tells us that that salvation that we receive from the sacrifice of Christ is secured in his resurrection. And that once we receive that truth, it requires of us a response of obedience that brings glory to Christ. This is the message that must be secured in the heart of every believer, of every church, unaltered, unchanged, binding, or we will fade and our faith will become dead. And part of that unaltering, unchanging, binding message to which we must pay careful attention so that we do not fade away 
is revealed in the next phrase found in verses 2 and 3. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Do you hear that? Every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. So to this point, what we have is, in the Old Testament, God sent his ministering angels and prophets to bring his unaltered, unchanging, binding message. And now Jesus, the greatest of these messengers, with the greatest unaltered message, if the violations and disobedience of the previous messengers would receive just punishment, how can we expect that those who violate and disobey Christ's message will not receive their just punishment? This is a part of the message of Jesus Christ. This is a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we cannot trifle with, that we cannot alter, but that is binding. You see, the message of Hebrews here is that disobedience to the message of Jesus Christ, his life, his teaching, his words, his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, his glorification, the dismissal and a rejection of that message is not without consequences. We talked last week about how Jesus Christ embodied his message. And when we reject that, when we reject him, when we reject all that he presents in all that he is, how is it that we could possibly believe that the rejection of that messenger does not bear great consequences. Hebrews is saying there is no less just punishment for those who reject the message of lesser angels than those who disobey the message of Christ. And it's really here that these two ideas come together. You see, the unaltering message of Christ is that the rejection of Christ leads to punishment. These are his words. These are his teachings. This isn't something that I'm making up, and it's not something that's been discovered somehow in the last 30 years. It's what Jesus said. This is an important message that too often is altered, it is changed, it is untethered. Too often it's ignored. This truth in Christ's teaching is is evident so clearly. First of all, Jesus lays it out in one of the most widely known passages in the chapter of John 3. Almost anybody you would talk to who has a passing understanding of a relationship with Christ can quote for you John chapter 3. Chapter starts with Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus where he says clearly, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Nicodemus came to him and said, said essentially, Jesus, what, might I, what must I do to be saved? 
This was a guy who was caught up in the righteousness of the law. And so he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And having heard that phrase for the first time in history, Nicodemus was reasonably confused. And so Jesus goes in and he explains, this is what it means to be born again. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus Christ goes to this very clear story in the Old Testament that everyone there would have understood. A story of the Israelites who complained against God, who resisted God, and God sent to them snakes that would bite them and kill them. And he said, then he had them make a bronze serpent that they would hold up. And he said, if you look on the bronze serpent, the punishment that I, set, that I sent, the consequences of rejecting me will be removed. Salvation will come to you when you look on the serpent. So Jesus' message here is he says, like, to be born again means to accept me, to look upon me, to receive me. Whoever believes in me will have eternal life. And then he expounds providing a contrast between those who believe and those who don't. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is, 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 is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now, I want you to hear the teaching of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ, what his life represented, what he's laying out. And understand something, this is him speaking. This isn't me making this up. This isn't me trying to ex express something that's not in his own words. He says, listen, I don't condemn them because why? They're already condemned because why? They don't accept me. The message of Jesus Christ throughout here is that salvation and life and hope, the kingdom of God, will be found in Jesus Christ. And where there is not Jesus Christ, where this message is rejected, there are consequences. And in case that wasn't enough, John the Baptist in chapter 3, verse 36, clarifies. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, lay out the same equation, don't they? John the Baptist makes the declaration, he says, those who do not obey the Son, those who disregard his message, those who set aside what he says, 
the wrath of God remains on them. The same as it was for Belshazzar. The same as it was for Pharaoh. Rejection of the message of Christ has consequences. You see how clearly the message of Hebrews is bringing to life the message of Jesus Christ? You cannot alter his declarations. And just as disobedience to the inferior messengers of God brought punishment, so will those who reject the message of Christ receive just punishment. When the message of Christ embodied in Christ, as we discussed last week, is rejected, there will be a judgment for that disobedience. So the question again is proposed. How different is the equation of God in the new covenant than that which we see in the Old Testament? In some ways, it's not very different, is it? Where the message of God is rejected, the just reward is punishment. But in one way, the question of God, the equation of God is very different. And it's a very profound way in which it's different. The difference is that when we accept the message of Christ, the, the whole message of Christ, we are once and for all set free and no longer under the threat of punishment. This is the beauty that will be unfolded as we walk through the pages of Hebrews. That not only is he the greater messenger with the greater message that requires being carefully accepted and embraced to avoid our just punishment. But he has become the one who has secured the new covenant through which we can draw near to our Heavenly Father. We're not continually needing to offer sacrifices, listening intently to the next prophet's instruction. But Jesus Christ, once and for all, has given us the message of life. A life that is found in him. That when we accept, we can find assurance that the judgment has passed from us and we can draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. The difference is this. Jesus made the way. The difference is it's not a continual answering to this prophet, answering to this angel, answering to a different message. But all we have to do is accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. To say, my life is laid before you, my heart is open to you. Whatever you want of me, wherever you want me to go, I will follow you. And when we do that, he provides the way. He provides the means through his death on the cross. We don't have to continually try and make sacrifices. We don't have to continually try and make ourselves righteous. 
Will we make mistakes? Will we screw up? Will we sin? Yes. But access to the throne room of grace has been made for us. So we never have to hide our face from him. We never have to live in shame any longer because Jesus Christ has paid the price that we can come to know him. Wherever you're at today in your walk, wherever you are at in your faith, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, or if you've walked with him every day, understand something. He has given you an access that the people of old never had. He gives you an ability to know your Heavenly Father in a way that is so intimate and so beautiful. If you're here and you're a sinner who's not received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, know that you can. That Jesus has made the way. If you're here and you're a believer who still is struggling with your sin, know that Jesus Christ has given you an intimate access to the Father where he will receive you and he will accept you and he will restore you because of the work of Jesus. Be careful to not disregard, but to consider the message that Christ has brought because the rejection of this truth is not without consequence.